They were the heroes from the future. Teenagers protecting the universe from those that would sow the seeds of chaos. Each had unique powers and abilities. And though they often had their differences, they came together to save the day as the Legion of Superheroes. Now you can be a part of their adventures and learn the history of the future in the Legion Clubhouse. Matthew, you know what happens in this issue, right? What? It's the one with Jack Gay! No. Karate Kid number six, Showdown with Commander Blood. Published January, February 1977. Written by David Michelini as Barry Jamison, with art by Rick Estrada. Synopsis Reinforcements arrive from the future, but Karate Kid isn't happy about it. Karate Kid number six. Now we've ended up skipping a few issues. Yes. And your 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 reasoning is because they don't feature the Legion of Superheroes. However, because there's going to be somebody out there on the internet that goes, um, "Excuse me, uh, Karate Kid is a member of the Legion of Superheroes. Therefore, every issue of Karate Kid features the Legion of Superheroes." Well, it features a member of the Legion of Superheroes, but by that logic, so does Superboy. Uh, and at that point, we've now officially in 1977 skipped like 87 issues of Superboy. So, but that's because they suck. Well, so did the first five issues. Of, well, that's just mean. Uh, the first five issues of Karate Kid do not have any specific Legion content. It's basically Val uh, fighting Major Disaster, meeting Ooh, a girl Major named Disaster. Iris. Who's Major Disaster? Yeah. Uh, he's actually a member of the the Justice League now, but he's an old school Flash villain who can make disasters. Has a pink and blue costume, got a little fork on his chest. Mm-hmm. So he fights uh, Major Disaster. Yep. He's he, got a girlfriend. Uh, one, one actually, he's got two girlfriends. girlfriends. Yes, he met a girl named Iris who's totally into him. Yeah, we met her in the first issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, won a fight that he should have lost, lost a fight that he should have won. Ran into some really cringy Asian stereotypes. I mean, there's actually one in this book. They call him, uh, what is it? Uh, pajama, pajama boy. Yeah. Pajama boy is also a slur that they yeah, use in this there's, issue. There's a lot of it. And, you know, has some weirdly inappropriate art for a book. That's all about, uh, action and fighty fighty. And then, uh, in issue six, well, at the end of issue five, the evil, evil, uh, what's his name? Oh, Commander yeah, not, Blood. Not Major Disaster, but Commander Blood. Not B-L-O-O-D, because I don't think you could get away with using the word blood in a blood. Comics Code Authority uh, comic book. So instead, it's B-L-U-D, but they forgot the umlauts. They did. He needs an umlaut. But he stuck Karate Kid in a brain-altering machine and forced him to deal with intense pain. And the pain has driven him mad. So we're at the tail end of Vietnam and everybody's coming back. Everybody's having the PTSD. There's all of these, um, you know, questions. Obviously, the uh, Frank Sinatra Manchurian Candidate movie has came out a long time ago. Uh, but we're we're seeing a lot of post-World War II conspiracy theory movies that are all over the place. Um, um, things about, you know, you got boys from Brazil. You got, uh, what is it? The Running Man with uh, Dustin Hoffman. Marathon Man with Dustin Marathon Hoffman. Man. Yeah. Uh, you've got just a disillusionment in America and you really start to think about how easy is it to mind control somebody? Mind control. And I know it's a kind of a big deal. I mean, uh, you listen to all the conspiracy radio, uh, shows that started to spring up in the late eighties and early nineties 
you know, mind control seems to be the, the thing. The government is out there controlling your mind. And here we get proof of it when, uh, you know, uh, Commander Blood is uh, is trying to mind control Karate Kid and almost does it right. Com- Karate Kid comes out and he's like, ah, kill, kill, kill some Crush, more and then destroy. do some more killing. And he almost does it, too, if it wasn't for the Legion of Superheroes who suddenly materialize out of nowhere and save the day. And I think, Matthew, I think in this issue, mm-hmm. we finally figure out what Princess Projector's real powers are. <laughs> Gravity defying breasts. Man, Projector definitely has a full crowd in the balcony in that first well, sequence. And it's, um, I mean, so here's my problem. You mentioned something about the art earlier. The yeah. art in this issue in my opinion, is atrocious. I mean, just like the worst, the worst art that you would see. I mean, think of it like a deltoid muscle, you know, how sometimes it sticks out. Now imagine someone wearing, you know, those uh, riding crop pants, you know, where it has the, the, the flare that goes out like six feet on the sides of the pants. That's mm-hmm. what this artist does when he draws, draws the deltoids or whatever that is in the legs. They just like stick out like six feet off to the sides and Karate's yeah. uh, kid's face might as well be a square and Princess Projector's boobs might as well just be a basketball cut in half and stuck onto her body. That is the quality of art that you're getting in Karate Kid number six, which is probably why it mm-hmm. uh, you can go pick it up in the back issue bins for like 50 cents. Get it for like a buck. The thing about it that is, is really frustrating to me is Rick Estrada is a good artist. Joe Staten is a good artist. Rick Estrada and Joe Staten together just give us this muddy, lumpy mess throughout the issue. And yeah, it's we weird talked, because we talked before about Rick Estrada the last time that we did Karate Kid and how he's really trying to show us the poses, uh, you mm-hmm. know, trying to get the movement correct. You know, you can go and look at the martial arts magazines and see a lot of those pictures and, and illustrations in those magazines appear in in his art. But this I don't know what this is that I'm looking at. It's very bloopy. And I feel like that. I don't know if it's rough layouts by by Rick with inking by Joe, but everybody has kind of a squash and stretch noodly body, except for when they're just rock solid squares. And it can actually change from literally panel to panel. There's a, a scene early. The Legion shows up. They take Val out because, you know, he's going mad. He falls to the ground. Then we see Projector kneel and hold him. His neck is clearly broken because his head is literally perpendicular to his massive chest. And I'm just, I, I, I don't know. I mean, Joe Staten has a cartoony style. I will grant you that. But something about the, the just the intersection of Staten and Estrada makes for a spectacularly ugly issue. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, and the, the story isn't much better, to be honest. Uh, the Legion come back, not because Karate Kid is about to kill, but because he's about to change the future by revealing the location of where World War Three will take place, where it will start. Because Commander Blood is all about going out and and starting. Uh, I don't know why this isn't major disaster. He's all about going out and trying to start a big war. And uh, he needs to know where World War Three is going to start so he can be the one that starts World War Three. Hmm. Hmm. Now, yeah. what do we know about Commander Blood? What are all of the the uh, the weapons that he has at his disposal that we see in this issue? Amongst his weaponry are such diverse elements as fear, surprise, brainwashing, and guns. And robots. Did you say robots? 
Uh, no. Lots and lots robots, of robots. robots. Yes, he does. So it's not a question yeah. of where is World War Three going to start, but it should be a rather of I've got the materials. Why don't I just start World War Three wherever I want? Right. This guy is and not he doesn't have it all weirder. upstairs. This guy is not really smart. Well, he's not. And here's the here's the thing that'll tell you why. The weird part is he wants Karate Kid to tell him where World War Three starts, right? Yeah. So in order to get Karate Kid to tell him his knowledge of the future, he captures four other people from the future and holds them hostage. Rather than ask them or try and torture them, he waits for Karate Kid to show up so that he can use them as leverage. And I'm like, they have the same knowledge that Val does. Yes. And he and- has four people in his custody who know just as much as Karate Kid does what's going to happen in the future. Now, Commander Blood has an underground base. But it's underground in the ocean and it's yes. in a big it's in a big glass dome or some kind of glass dome. And so that's kind of cool. And the underground water layer is kind of cool. Uh, but then all the karate has karate kid has to do KK is what we call him. KK. Yeah, because we're friends. All he right. has to do is rush up to his girlfriend, Princess Projectra, and whisper in her ear. Hey, do one of your hypnosis things because that doesn't work with, you know, that can defeat these energy shields you're in. And so she's like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll use my projector powers and I will make this guy think that the dome is cracking to distract him for just a moment. So Karate Kid can kick the remote out of his hand and the guy won't be able to change the channel and will be stuck watching Dallas Friday nights at eight o'clock. And, you know, the worst part about it, that's literally the only thing Projector does in the whole issue. Well, she's also there to swoon over Karate Kid and to prop up his broken neck. To make Iris feel guilty. But, I mean, if you look at the team that comes with her, Starboy, Cosmic Boy, and Sunboy, you could make an argument that Projectra should be, A, the most powerful of that lot in some ways, and B, possibly leading this team. I mean, the presence of, of Cosmic Boy at this point... And he's, it's Naked Cosmic Boy, too, so you have and to ask yourself. his costume yourself. gets even worse and worse. Yeah, Estrada draws it even smaller because it doesn't even come up to his nipples. It's like right at the base of his uh, <laughs> his uh, pectoral muscles. Yeah, yeah, it's really weird. It is. And, of course, you know, Projectra's costume under Mike Grell's pen has cutouts in it. And it's designed to be kind of, you know, William Tice titillation theory stuff. But, boy, Estrada really makes those portholes bigger. It's all, it's all, it's all really bad. I mean, I I hate to say it. And I know we've talked before about how the seventies is supposed to be all about, you know, sexy, sexy and doing some (laughs) crazy things in comics and doing all that stuff. But this is just really, really bad art all around. And I, if you're wanting, if you want to pick up a Legion of superheroes book, this is not one that I would recommend, uh, that you pick up. I would agree. Uh, the whole Karate Kid series is kind of tangential to anything Legion related because the way it's written just kind of treats Val as a regular guy in 1976. You know, it, it could in many ways be just an Iron Fist adventure. It could be a Sons of the Tiger adventure. And the Legion connections are very muted, even in this issue where, you know, the Legion shows up. 
you're like, oh, okay, the Legion's going to do something. And they really don't. The biggest thing that happens in this issue is uh, Karate Kid's cleaning lady gets zapped by the magic TV that he keeps in his bathroom. Why does he have a magic Karate TV? Kid- First of all, uh, let's talk for a minute. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's talk for a minute. First of all, tell us what is this magic TV? And then we'll talk about the cleaning lady, lady in Val's apartment. Well, someone is communicating with Karate Kid. Remember, we don't yet know at this point why he's in the past. They have not revealed the actual motivation for him being in the past. And since that is something that's going to come up in a future episode because it is directly Legion related, I'm not going to tell you right now, but I am going to let you know that it's not exciting. And um, this issue, the magic box that allows him to talk to someone in the future, doesn't actually. Is it the time trapper? It's not the time trapper. I'll give you a hint. It is a king. Mm. It okay. is a king. All right. But this particular king story doesn't play out the way that it seems to. And the seeming murder of Karate Kid's uh, actually Cosmic. kind of cute. It's uh, Cosmic Boy's dog. King. It's not Cosmic Boy's dog. Rin Tin Tin. No, it's none of those things. But. There's someone on the other end of the communication device. That person zaps Karate Kid's cleaning lady, and he is arrested at the end of this issue for murder. Murder. Okay, so let us back up a little bit to midway through this story where the cleaning lady busts into, I think it's not even the cleaning lady. I think it's the landlady, uh, goes into Karate Kid's apartment. And let's not even get into the whole tenants' rights issues here because uh, I know many of you who listen have many, 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 many problems with your landlords. And the first thing that I would do is honestly look up the, the renter's rights laws, because there's all sorts of things that go into this. Like uh, your landlord has to give you a certain amount of notice before you can go into their apartment, like 24 hours. They're not, there's a whole bunch of things that they're not allowed to do, which many landlords or many rent, renter, rent, renters, rentees, uh, rental, rental people, Uh, think that they're entitled to because they're renting to you and they actually don't. And if you start having problems with your landlord, you seriously need to look up this bill of rights because it will probably help you out in a lot of situations. These are legal rights that you as a renter have that you can use if your landlord is causing problems. The other option is stop paying your rent and squat in the place and then that give the the landlord the big middle finger. But in this case... (laughs) It is the 1970s before the renter's bill of rights uh, has come into uh, effect. And she just comes in and starts cleaning his house. Mm -hmm. But, and again, nothing wrong with this, Mm -hmm. but the rooms that she is cleaning have pink stuffed tortoises, Mm -hmm. have some frilly pink lantern lamps with the frilly 19, almost late 60s, early 70s uh, lamps. And there is right. a very kind of um, um, kind of a French hoity-toity uh, couch, you know, the, the plush like couches. A fainting couch, yeah. Yeah, all of this stuff in Karate Kid's apartment. Of course, it's all pink. And again, nothing wrong with that. But I find that for 1970s, especially, because they're not really, um, hmm, what's the word that I want to use here? Progressive? Yes. And so to put all of that into his apartment makes me scratch my head and go, what is going on here? What are they trying to say? And why is this, why does this feel off? 
I don't remember if issue one had the story of him moving into this no, apartment. No, it did not. It most certainly I didn't. I wonder if this is a furnished apartment. That is my that, guess. That the landlady actually did. Looking at that little French provincial couch thing, I'm like, is this stuff that belongs to Projectra that she sent back to decorate for him so that he would not feel lonely in the past? But I don't know. It's, it is an interesting point, especially, you know, when you look at, all of the it's got like a big mirror with the thing and hanging curtains and it's lovely it's you know lovely in a 19 it looks like my grandmother's it looks like my grandmother or great grandmother's um bathroom that's all i will say or even even my great grandmother's uh one of her bedroom looks a lot like that ah the couch isn't covered in plastic though it might be we don't know Nah, you could see plastic. They'd like all I know is that shine. the 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 background does not match the tenant. Yep, and the carpet matches the drapes. Well, we don't know that either. Well, I guess we do get a buff shot when she's about to get zapped by the silver ball Steven. from the future. I literally meant the actual drapes. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, okay. we see in a shot. There's an above shot where she's talking to the the silver ball and it's about to zap her, and we get an mm-hmm. above shot, and we actually see the carpet in the apartment. And then yep. there's a shot of the drapes. So yes, that, that is not what you're talking about. The carpet matches the, dra- I don't understand. Yes. Are you, yes, are, is this one of those euphemism things that you're trying to, tr- trying to use? You can stop now. Now, am I crazy? <laughs> yes. Yes, or you are. Or does this book oh, feel like question. it's mostly ads? Um, so yes, you're right. There are an inordinate amount of ads that you're going to find in this issue, which I find fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other thing, an evil sun cycle, uh, one of my friends had the chopper, but not the stunt cycle. I had the jet cycle and I knew the kid who had the scramble van and I was like, Ooh, the scramble van. So here's the thing. I think my cousin had the chopper. Here's the thing. Comic books were a great way to sell ads. That's why you get all the little. The little small ads, you know, 50 cents to get our list of golden age comics. And, you know, here we have this and learn how to build muscles and send away for this book from the uh, Utah Police Department on how you can become a karate kid martial expert and all this stuff in there. Those are big money makers for comics or at least offset a lot of the printing costs uh, back in the day. Now, um, you know, obviously, as the paper quality and the prestige of comics started to grow in the late seventies and early eighties. Again, we're right at the point with the DC explosion right before it starts the big contraction, which will lead up to, of course, the, the, uh, crisis on infinite earths. Uh, this is a great way to make some money for the company if you have ad sales, but as you start to get into more impressive comics, people don't like having two pages of ads in the middle of their story or four pages of ads in the middle of the story. So as a justification for increasing the cost of comics over time, they start reducing the amount of ads to, to the point now, the only time you see ads in comics are inside front cover, inside back cover and back cover. Those are the only places you see ads. And a lot of them are milk ads or whatever ads that they're, they're running this week, but you don't see half page ads. You don't see, you know, a double page spread of ads. You don't see hostess ads. you certainly don't see Superman flying down, trying to stop a father from beating his child to death. Uh, as a public service announcement ad that is in the middle of, I don't know if it's in this one or in the Superboy uh, comic, but that one it's really took here, me by yeah. surprise. Justice for all includes children. Includes, That's actually Kurt it's, Swan art. It's called, uh, includes eight-year-olds or something, I think is the title of it. 
which is really weird. But the whole thing is we have reduced the number of ads that are into these books because, you know, they're trying to pack more story in there and they're trying to keep the price, you know, somewhere around $10 per issue these days. And um, and so we miss out on a lot of ads. That also means that the publisher is missing out on a lot of petitional revenue also means that they have to hire a bunch of people to do ad sales, uh, which is also kind of a problem right now because of as of this recording, Mm -hmm. uh, DC has had to lay off a ton of people. A lot of their editorial staff has been fired. Over 800 people have been let go at Warner Brothers. All of this coming down from AT&T. So as you start to cut uh, positions, you would think ad sales people would go away. But coming from a business uh, that was a startup business that I worked at in the early 2000s, Uh, they had at one point, I want to say like 30 sales reps trying to sell ads for the various websites that we were uh, working on. And then one day, 20 of them were gone just like that. And we were told, no, no, don't worry. Everything's fine. We have to cut back. Ad sales is the place that we decided to go. We looked at everybody's, you know, ad, uh, uh, sales rate and we cut the people that weren't selling. Three months later, they were down to two salespeople and we were to, and then we cut, started laying off, um, you know, s- other staff in order to cut costs. Right. So maybe ad sales is the place where you cut it. That seems to be the last place that you want to cut because that's where your revenue is coming from. So I don't know. Uh, yes, there are a lot of ads in here, but there's also not a lot of story in here. There's really about six pages <laughs> of story in this comic. So you got to fill the rest of it with ads. Yeah, and it's interesting that they chose to have Cosmic Boy, of all people, defeat Karate Kid with a Kung Fu nerve strike. Yeah, yeah, Vulcan nerve pinch, I think. It's really weird. That is such a strange choice. I mean, why the man has mag? Well, first of all, he has magnetic powers, but second of all, Karate Kid is a master of all forms of combat. You would think, apparently, Cosmic He's not a master. Boy was paying great attention. He's not a master of all forms of defense, though. Hmm. I don't buy it. He's a he's a master of all combat. That's that's the offensive. I would have, I would have had Cosmic Boy use his magnetic powers rather than a nerve strike. On how how would you so explain to me how you take Karate Kid down? Okay, with your magnetic magnetic powers, you pick up something metal and you yeah. But then like, he then he uses then he uses his giant karate hiya. You know, with the the big old splash page with his leg up oh. in the in the uh, uh, Masters of Shaolin pose with his leg way up high, just splitting an iron beam in half. And everyone's like, <gasps> and you hear him and with his mighty hi-ya, as they, as they write that across the fast page. fast enough, if he's fast enough to do that, he should be fast enough to defend against Oh no, he's kid. paying Cosmic attention Boy's to all attack. the other things and Cosmic, but see, that's the thing. Cosmic Boy is being sneaky by coming up behind him and then giving him the nerve pinch, which he doesn't expect. Subtlety. I don't Stealth. Stealth is a big advantage to combat types who are too busy punching things to pay attention to someone sneaking up quietly behind. I don't buy it. If you enjoy the show, we would appreciate your support. You can find out more and become a Legion Clubhouse member at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Superboy number 227. War at World's End. Published May 1977. Written by Jerry Conway with art by Joe Stanton. Synopsis. Brainiac 5 versus Pulsar Stargrave. The final battle. Superboy 227, the one with Jack Gay. And for those of you... 
For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, 227 is a spinoff of the Jeffersons. Uh, the kids are not going to get that joke, and it's not a spinoff <laughs> of the Jeffersons. Yes, it is. Because, oh. yes, the, the the main lady that's the focus of this story, uh, uh, um, she is the one who was the maid for the Jeffersons. This is the story of her when she's not the maid for the Jeffersons. It's the same actress, but it's like 20 no, no. years later. Yes, I know. That's the, that is, but that is the story of 227 and how this came about, because it's based on a play featuring the maid from the Jeffersons, and then they turn that from a play into the TV series like 10 years later, instead of setting it in, in, uh, in, in the, in the time. And of course it's her and everybody else. And of course, Jack A. Harry is in this, who later changes her name to just Jack A. And, uh, everybody in the, in the, this is the weird thing. For some reason, I always thought 227 was a TV show in the nineties, but it's actually a show 80s. that ran from like 80, it ran for four seasons from like 88 to 92. But 227 was the address of the building that they lived in. And the sassy one was Jack A. Harry. Also, this issue features Pulsar Stargrave. That literally made my teeth itch. Good. That's my secret quirk. It makes your teeth itch. And that's how you drop from combat. (laughs) You're just like, ah, I can't scratch my teeth. Ah." And then I sweep your legs out from underneath you and you're down. Yeah, okay. I'll buy that. Brainiac 5 is back, and he's trying to take down the Legion members. They're on, of course, the uh, the planet of uh, Kolu. Kolu, yeah. You know Kolu. Yeah, it's, you know uh, Kolu. It, actually, it sounds like a stool softener, but it's it's actually the home planet of... Uh, of the, all the Brainiacs, including yeah. Evil Brainiac, who we found out, the original Brainiac, the Superman yes. android, is actually from Kulo. Kulo, yeah, Kolu, Kulo. Cannot say colon. Kulo. Kulo is is a root word in Spanish. <laughs> and uh, and the tribe of robots that used to run the planet are the ones that created Brainiac millions of years ago. And then he yes. went back and he fought Superman. And then eventually he got tired <laughs> and it's just like I'm tired of this Superman. I'm going to go to the future where I can actually be somebody. <sighs> I don't even know. That doesn't make any sense. This, this, no, that is the weird part about this is there's this whole thing where the Legion shows up with fake Brainiac and they're like, oh yeah, this is a fake Brainiac. And they, they capture the fake, fake Brainiac and fake and the real Brainiac comes out and he's like, oh yes, yes, yes. And let me tell you how we got here. And then there's this thing called interlude where they try to tell you the history of Brainiac and how he got to the future and his trials and tribulations and the whole thing about the robot overlords on the planet of uh, Kolu. And uh, it's just, it isn't, I mean, it's a good thing that people throw away their comics in the seventies the after they're done reading them. Because if you go back like four issues or whatever it is, when all of this stuff is revealed, they're changing a lot of stuff that happened like three or four issues ago, uh, featuring yeah. Pulsar, Star, Pulsar Stargrave. This is actually the first issue, the first Legion issue ever written by Jerry Conway. Uh, who's just coming off of uh, killing Gwen Stacy. Uh-oh, is that and why they got it, it rid of him, is to uh, send him over to DC no. so he could uh, that take was care a, of the that Legion? That was a couple of years ago. He did the Marvel DC crossovers in like 74, and I think he came to DC in 75 and had been writing uh, the Justice Society and All-Star Squadron. Yeah. Uh, I believe he created Power Girl in like 76. Probably. Uh, and this issue is Jerry's very first work on Legion of Superheroes. 
And it feels like he didn't read the issue. Well, and that's what I'm saying is like all the stuff that came before seems to have been wiped off. What happened to Paul Levitz? I mean, the guy just came on this uh, uh, just a couple of issues ago. The interesting thing that you need to know about the run of Legion of Superheroes that we're about to enter is that no creative team actually doubles up on two issues back to back for like the next two years of Legion. Mm, So Paul Levitz will be back next issue. Uh, in 228 with the death of a legionnaire. But this is the Jerry Conway issue. And it feels like it may have been a rush job. We've talked about the rush job to try and figure out, oh, well, the Stargrave thing ended and Shooter went away. And what are we going to do? This feels like we're just going to wrap this up quick because it's not just Jerry. It's Joe Statton, who we just saw in Karate Kid, his first issue of Legion as well. You would, He'll you actually would think, be back though, as one of the regular writers soon enough. Or with this Pulsar Stargrave storyline, you would think that you would go back and read the the previous issues just so you kind of know what's going on, so you can kind of come up with a story. Just wrap it up. You, I you feel also like might think, and I know a lot of, so I know up. a lot of people. Here's the thing. I know a lot of people get on me because I can't remember all the Legion members' names when we're having a discussion. Mm-hmm. Jerry Conway doesn't even know the Legion members' names in, in this issue. Because it's at one point, at one point, Shadow Lass and Shrinking Violet, see, I got those names right. Uh, they go off. There's this whole thing about uh, Brainiac is going to throw off the gyroscope at the top of the world and throw off the air filter because of all the pollution on Kulu. Kulu. Um, and at one point, Shadow Lass and Shrinking Violet break off from the main fight because they see Pulsar Stargrave and they're going after him. And um, I think. Uh, um, Shrinking Violet says something to the effect of, well, why didn't you tell Wildfire that you saw Stargrave go this way? And she's and she just sasses back. She's like, I didn't vote for him. So even after, you know, like a couple of issues later with the whole Superboy uh, Wildfire fight about who's going to be president of the Legion of Superheroes. Oh, Shadow Lass gives some sass about that, except that (laughs) for two panels in a row, nobody catches this. Not even editorial catches this. Shrinking Violet calls Shadow Lass Shadow Girl. Yep. For two panels. Her main two two moments on in the issue, she is called Shadow Girl. So I don't want to hear any guff from people saying, hey, Stephen, why don't you learn the members of the, the, the thing? I'm not even writing the, the book. And, and the writers of the book can't even remember the names of these characters. It, I thought that yeah. was very, you know, this is just shoddy. This is a shoddy issue, too. I would agree. And I feel like that's part of the reason that it feels like a let's just wrap this up because we're now three issues past uh, the big cliffhanger about Stargrave. We had that, inter, you know, intermediary issue where they're like, oh, no, he's really. Yeah, he's Brainiac. That's what it is. And I feel like this is, hey, Jerry, we know you write quickly, which is true. Jerry is known for writing quickly. Can you bang out 20 pages and get this mess off our plate? so that we can go on and do something else. And I feel like it really shows because there's, there's some very Jerry Conway dialogue. Our patron Rene brand may be rich, but even he should not have to go around replacing space cruisers. Superboy. Yeah. Oh, okay. no, or well, even the better part when Brainiac, uh, confronts, uh, Brainiac, <laughs> Brainiac and Brainiac five confront each other. And Brainiac is like, ah, so, you know, my plan. And Brainiac five is like, Yes, yes, I figured out your plan a long time ago. And the Brainiac is, let me explain my plan. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, God. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, man. 
Yeah. Uh, so you've got some questions. Uh, I see here you say, why isn't Phantom Girl intangible when she confronts right. Stargrave? She she rushes in. She gets up to Pulsar Stargrave and he just smacks her away. Why did she even go solid? She had to go through the walls to get to him. I mean, it feels like there's something to to complain about on every single page of this issue. I know, right? We open with blowing up the expensive cruiser, and then we have uh, some some nonsense. Really, the only thing that I like about this issue is the fact that Colossal Boy's costume gets a blue unitard underneath, so now mm-hmm. he's got blue sleeves and leggings, and it looks better. Mm-hmm. He's not running around without pants, but yeah, why did why is she there? Saturn Girl at one point is like, oh no, he's an android, and I'm reading his mind. And yeah, I know, and that, that says, freaks him out. That's impossible. And I'm like, yeah, it is. No, that's but is it? But is it, right? Because one of the things that they do during the interlude moment is they mm-hmm. talk about how the robot overlords of Kolu wanted to create an infiltration unit that would be very hard for people to um, detect. Basically, they were creating the T 800s uh, a thousand years before um, Skynet went live. And so I'm guessing one of the things that they may have done when they're creating these things is given them enough something to where it feels like they have an active brain and Brainiac being Brainiac and and building these uh, life model decoys that look like Brainiac five or look like other copies of himself as Pulsar Stargrave with his excellent disco costume. Uh, Perhaps also that is something that um, he also put into those robot creations. The fact that they might have some kind of brainwave pattern that uh, uh, Saturn girl could detect. Also, it could be a trap because one of the things we also find out is that uh, the memories of the two locations that uh, Brainiac wanted to attack on the planet were, were fake that they were implanted memories. So it could all be part of Brainiac's big plan. Although Brainiac having a big plan and a well thought out, plot in this uh, issue is is fairly rare so yeah i would agree but that's that's what I, that's the argument i'm going with and i'll stick with it for now i'll let you have that can you tell me how holder who is strong enough to hold superboy can be taken down by a kick in the face from shadow lass with no superpowers uh because he wasn't holding on to her ah, didn't, didn't say so that powers... didn't, didn't say that he had invulnerability he just has the power to hold on to you and grip you. Well-timed punch, well-timed kick to the head. That's going to take you out. That's one of the things okay. when you have like a one stunt, a villain or hero, uh, your quirk is I'm going to eat a lot of food. Well, you're only going to appear in a couple issues before we figure out ways that we can uh, write you off because we're tired of saying, oh, you can eat metal. You can eat earth. You can eat whatever. And blah, blah, blah. It, it just one trick pony things usually have a fatal flaw and in the case of Holder, it is the fact that he can hold on to you, but he's also got a glass chin. And Phantom Girl, I'm sorry, yeah, Phantom Girl does that. No, no, it's Saturn Girl. Kicks Shadow him in the head. Sh- no, Shadow Girl kicks him in the head with a boot and takes him down. No, I do not have to follow this Shadow Girl continuity. <laughs> Clearly, it's just a Mandela effect. No, it's actually there. <laughs> no, it's, 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 for one page, we were in a different universe. But I do like the Poochie ending. Where Pulsar Stargrave's people need him, so they literally punch him into the sun. Yeah, and that's another you know, thing that doesn't make the sense. The character whose origin is being thrown into a sun is taken out by being thrown into a sun. No, no, Brainiac's origin isn't being uh, isn't uh, being created in the sun. He was created by robots. 
Pulsar Stargrave says, I was thrown into the sun. That's his imaginary story. Remember, Matthew, this isn't Pulsar Stargrave. No, this is Brainiac with a false story. And so Superboy and Wildfire do a double punch. This kind of clears up the whole who's president and are these two mortal enemies because they work together to punch Brainiac all the way off the planet, all the way to the sun. And I mean, this is a kind of a long ways away to get to the sun, but he goes into the sun, Matthew. I'll the give you sun. a dollar to stop calling the Legion leader a president. The sun. I will give you a dollar. The sun, Matthew. They yes. punch him into the sun. Yes. A place so hot that it melts metal, Matthew. And their response is, <laughs> that'll keep him busy for a while. Didn't they just kill? I think they just killed Brainiac. They punched him into well, the sun and he melted. This issue makes the point when they blow up the alternate fake Brainiac 5 that killing an android is not killing. That's fine. Killing an android is not killing. They still killed Brainiac and this is the end of Brainiac. Yes, this is not the end of Brainiac. Also, a uh, couple of things. A couple yes. of things. Going back to... I thought there was something in Karate Kid that was just going to strike me, but I forget what that, what that moment was. Um, but, um, there is some interesting things. Oh, I'm going to guess we see a lot of commander blood in the future. No, no. Commander blood is never, ever appears again after karate kid number six. What about major disaster? Major disaster does appear again. He, he later joins the justice league. What about the general? The general, uh, he's got cheap insurance rates and he's, <laughs> Isn't, isn't that the, uh, isn't that the Batman villain? The little kid is called the general. Uh, the general is the one who used to be the shaggy man who what? shaves his head. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that the, the little kid that, uh, Batman is always like, ah, I can't believe this. And he becomes a huge Robin vill villain. He shaves the five stars in the back of his head. You're thinking of the veteran, I think. Oh, maybe that's who I'm thinking of. I'm pretty sure it's the general, but whatever. Here's another interesting fact for all of you uh, fact finders out there, always looking for little tidbits of finders information. Of facts. Yes. 1977, Superboy averaged 478,000 copies per issue, mm -hmm. with 214,000 of those coming from dealers, carriers, street vendors, and counter sales. All the rest either came from subscriptions or, yeah, I think the rest all came from subscriptions. They have a whole breakdown at the back of this book because uh, this is something you have to do every year. You have to go out and you have to report. Uh, for postal carrier rates, you have to report yep. how many you are shipping. And so 214 are ones people are buying from these new things called comic book stores or from street vendors. You know, those little kids on the street here, extra, extra, your new Superboy 227 is out. It's got Jack Gay. Come and pick it up for only 22 cents. Uh, so you've got that many. Uh, and so all the rest are coming from, you know, supposedly through uh, through mail order and through other uh, subscription services, which they break down too. They go really pretty detailed into that. I find it very fascinating when they have to shrink the, the font size so small so they can get like 14 paragraphs worth of data into a little tiny corner of the, of the comic book. Yep. And there's 3,244 subscriptions to Legion Superboy featuring the Legion of mm -hmm. Superheroes as mm -hmm. of this point. Yeah. I didn't see that in the Karate Kid issue, but I would imagine somewhere around this time, I guess they only have to do it when it hits issue 12. Uh, because you only have do to do it, it once every, a year. I think it's twice a year, actually, at this point, but mm. I don't remember. Yeah, and remember, the Karate Kid issue is here in its chronological spacing, 
but it actually came out several months before the Superboy 227. Yeah. So there you go. Some uh, interesting things about uh, Superboy 227 and Karate Kid and Pulsar Stargrave and Brainiac 5 and Brainiac and time travel and interludes. That brings us to the end of another Legion Clubhouse. Matthew, what did we learn this time? We learned how much it sucks to pine for a man who has yet to be born. We also learned that too many of you don't know who Jack A. Harry is, and I feel sad for you. I don't. And I think lastly, we learned that in 1976, while everybody was kung fu fighting, everybody was also rock'em sock'em robots. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Legion Clubhouse and for every episode that you guys are checking out and downloading. We certainly appreciate that. If you would head over to the Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars would be preferred. Let's uh, get us uh, out there and more people recognizing what we do. I know we're getting more and more listeners with each episode, but let's get a whole bunch at once so people can celebrate the adventures of the Legion of Superheroes. So until next time, I am President Man. And I'm Curation Kid. The Legion Clubhouse is a production of Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC, and is produced by Stephen Schleicher. Your hosts were Matthew Peterson and Stephen Schleicher. You can follow Matthew at Mighty King Cobra and Stephen at Major Spoilers. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Legion Clubhouse. If you have questions or comments, send them to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. I'm Jason Inman. Until next time, eat it, Grandpa. This podcast is copyright 2020 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.